individuals who do not agree with us in regard to life. Uh, let us live out life running the full gamut, okay? Not just life in the womb, but we need to be pro-life and pro-family in all areas. So if we have opportunities to help those, um, whether that's, whether that's a, a lady who is experiencing an unwanted pregnancy or an individual who is... Uh, who's lost parents or whatever that might be, where we can step in as a church and minister to those needs, let us be quick to take advantage of those things. Um, and as a church, Carlos, is, um, I guess Paul is still out there, but the, um, the Petrellas are walking in, so let's make sure that they get a spot there. Um, so anyway, we want to make sure that we are promoting life in all of its aspects, not just uh, being very vociferous when it comes to uh, abortion and, and, and being opposed to that. All right, so as God gives us opportunities to do that, let's uh, take those advantages and maybe even let's be a little more diligent as we look for opportunities to serve in those ways. Let me share a request that I got with you uh, just over uh, the weekend. Uh, Russ Vintage used to be the guy who plowed our parking lot when we were over in the other building. Um, and he, when we first started the construction process, he, he went the extra mile to help us stay plowed out. And um, so we know, his, we know him. Uh, the Ramavus know his, his family as well. Uh, they recently lost a daughter, and now their son Ryan has just been diagnosed with stomach cancer. Okay? Um, and so if we could pray for the Vintage family, uh, I know that they would appreciate that. Um, I don't know a lot of the details, and I don't know how we could come alongside of them and help. Um, but also Dave Morris is quite close to the Vintage family, so maybe we can pick on Dave a little bit and see if he's got some ideas. But uh, let us be thinking about ways that we can minister to this family who really was very helpful in, in the plowing uh, of our parking lot prior to our excellent plow man that we have now. All right. Um, so uh, pray for the vintage family. All right. Um, welcome, Petrellas. Good to have you with us. Uh, arms up in the air, hands up. That's a good thing. Uh, just thankful that God allowed you to be here. It's always an answer to prayer when we see you guys walk in. Um, and I know that I pray for that regularly. And sometimes God grants me that desire. And other times, um, he says, no, Wanda needs to stay at home. So just praise the Lord that they are able to be with us this morning. Make sure you catch up with them uh, as you have opportunity once the service is over. Or uh, if you're Colleen, you can do it during the service. That's okay. Um, so anyway, let's uh, go ahead and get into our time together in the Word this morning. We're continuing our worship as we open God's Word together. So uh, if you want to open your copy of the Scriptures to Romans chapter 8, that is where we are going to be uh, spending our time together this morning, the book of Romans chapter 8. You know, Romans is an, an amazing book in the scriptures, perhaps one of my favorites. Uh, it is a doctrinally rich book. It is a book that helps us understand our salvation, how God has blessed us so incredibly with our salvation. Um, and so this is where we're going to find our text this morning. But most of you know that Barb and I had the opportunity last week to uh, speak at the Northeast Fellowship Marriage Camp uh, Retreat, uh, and it was a good time. We had the opportunity to work with uh, several other pastors uh, and their wives in, in speaking. I think there were six of us that spoke during the, during the weekend, uh, and it was just a, a great time. The theme of that camp was better than I love you. Better than I love you. Now, I have to be honest with you. Barb and I struggled with that one, with the theme, the overall theme, because it's hard to come up with something that is 
better than I love you, right? I mean, when you hear those words, I love you, uh, those words mean so much to us, all right? Sometimes it's hard to say those words for uh, whatever reasons might be going on in your life. Uh, So we kind of struggled coming up with something that was better than I love you, but they had several suggestions, uh, and we chose one uh, that was, uh, I am for you, okay? Now, we can't we never used that word until we started preparing for this marriage camp or that phrase, I'm for you. But if you think about it, it's actually a good phrase to incorporate into your marriage relationship. Um, and, and that's what we talked about last weekend when we were at, at the camp. But we're going we're gonna, to, and somebody asked me, hey, I'd love to hear you, what you guys did at camp. It would be a blessing, I'm sure. So you're going to get actually more than what we gave to the folks at camp uh, because we only were allowed, and, get, and believe it or not, we were only allowed 20 minutes for our speaking time. Now, and Mark goes, Ooh, and, and I'm sure he's thinking, and so are the rest of you, maybe not going to say it, but how in the world did Pastor Tim include his wife and only speak for 20 minutes? It was tough. It was tough. I mean, I was talking to Jim Vogel, um, and he said, I mean, pastors are only getting started after 20 minutes. Um, but anyway, we, we were able to, to squeeze it all into 20 minutes, so I actually had to expand on it for our time together this morning. So I love you, or I'm, I am for you, is what we're going to talk about this morning. We find it in Romans chapter 8, and we started our session with that confession that we, didn't, we never used that phrase with one another until we started preparing for uh, the session that we had. Um, and I want to start this morning by talking about this idea of being for you. I am for you. I had some fun at marriage camp with this phrase, I am for you. Some of our guys that went to uh, Men's Adventure this past February, they, they witnessed a very embarrassing time in my life, okay? Um, and that embarrassing time was when Elijah Belts called me up and he said, I, I, you know, I want to I use, use Pastor Mowers for an illustration, uh, and he, he knows that I'm an avid Yankees fan, okay? So he had me put on, a, twisted my arm, I guess we'll put it that way, a Mets hat and a Mets jersey. Um, and there's even a picture of that somewhere, uh, probably. Uh, I try not to dwell on that. But I had to have the opportunity to um, get some payback this past weekend uh, with Elijah. So go ahead and show that picture, Timothy. Um, here's, this is Pastor Belts. He's a, he's a very avid Mets fan. And um, believe it or not, when I'm in public outside of this setting and, and in my own family, I don't bring up, I'm not the first one to bring up the Yankees, okay? Um, other people bring it up and I just, you know, show my fandom by talking about how amazing they are. I mean, obviously they're the best team in baseball right now, uh, even though they got no hit yesterday. But anyway, um, the thing with the Belts family, though, is Suzanne, Elijah's wife, is, a, is an amazing Yankees fan, okay? Um, and in fact, he brought that out at Men's Adventure, and he said, you know, my wife's a, a, Met, a Yankees fan, and I feel sorry for her. Um, and if, Pastor Myers, did you come up here? And so that's when he did his antics of dressing me up um, as a uh, impost- I mean, as a Mets fan. Uh, so I did the same thing for Elijah, and and I said, Elijah, can you tell us uh, what it, what it's like to be a Mets fan? Because uh, you are for the Mets, right? And he described not quite with the enthusiasm that we Yankee fans can muster up because, after all, we've got 27 world championships and they only have a few. Um, but anyway, um, he talked about how although he's never experienced the World Series victory, um, he is a, he, that's what he cheers for. 
And then I said, Suzanne, would you like to come up and join us? And, and by the way, would you like to put on my Yankees coat? And she took it and she put it on. And look at the big smile on her face. Uh, we, we helped the belts unite as one. They were for the same team. They were for the Yankees. They were for one another, even though if it was only for a few minutes, okay? Um, but anyway, we had fun with this idea of being for somebody or so for something. I want you to tell me, just go ahead and shout it out. What does it mean to be for someone or something? You're in their corner. That's a sporting illustration, boxing. You support them, you advocate for them, okay? What else does it mean to be for someone or something? You believe in them. Boy, uh, you believe, even the Cubs fans believe in the Cubs. Uh, yep. What else does it mean to be for, Vani? You defend them. Very good. Any other ideas? What does it mean to be for someone or something? Care about them, Steve? Okay, you want to help them? You want to encourage them in their projects? Others? What might you do if you have to help somebody with a project? What, is it, what does it entail? You come alongside? Barry? Okay, you verbally support them. You don't know anything about that with me and the Yankees, right? Steve? Okay, ways you can participate? Have faith in them? You're leaving something out, though. This is all surface stuff. Time. That's a big one, okay? You have to make an investment of time. What else goes along with that idea? Give of yourself and... Yeah, I mean, if you're for someone or if you're for something, you're going to have to invest not just time but money. Okay, so that calls for us to make sometimes sacrifices, all right, to invest or to be for one or to be for something. Um, so you know that we've converted Elijah now to be a Yankees fan. Uh, he would highly disagree with that. Uh, I did post this picture on social media for others to enjoy, um, and he had a quick response to it. But what is it, you know, you all know who I'm for when it comes to, let's call them the major sports in baseball. I mean, in America, and there's only two of them now, uh, major sports, at least as far as I'm concerned, baseball and football, okay? When it comes to baseball, you know that I'm a Yankees fan, and much to Brandon's dismay, I'm a Cowboys fan, and Mike as well. Uh, very, very disappointed in that. But again, if we're talking championships, we know who has more uh, between the Cowboys and the Giants or any other New York team. But anyway, we don't need to talk about that this morning. Um, and there's other sports teams that I am for, okay, for our South African friends. Um, I'm a Boca Boca, okay? I'm a Springbok supporter. I love the box. I had the opportunity to go watch them play in person at Newlands. What a, what a great opportunity that was. Uh, when it comes to the provincial side of the game, though, uh, I'm a shark. 
Okay, I'm a sharky. Right? And again, that's much to Charlie's dismay. Uh, he would much rather me be for Western Province. But, you know, again, I like to, I like to cheer for those who have quality programs going uh, and a history of winning. And so the Sharks uh, do that for us in rugby. So we're for somebody. When we're for somebody, we're going to invest. We're, going to, we're not going to be embarrassed by what they stand for, what they represent, who they are. We're going to cheer them on. We're going to do whatever we can to help them be successful. We are for them. We're investing in them. We're giving it all we got to help them be successful. That's our goal, to invest in them. Now, when we're for one another in our marriage, and let's take that beyond just marriage, but put it in the perspective of our church relationships and for our church in general. If you are for your spouse or you are for your church, you're going to be invested in that relationship. And can I say you're going to be fully invested in that relationship. So you're going to make it a priority in your life. That's what it really means to be for someone. Now, I've said that our focus this morning is going to be in the book of Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 31. Uh, That's going to be kind of where we start things off, where Paul writes this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, that's a great truth about God and his relationship with us, and therefore should be something that we strive for in our relationship with our spouse and even in our church. We want to be for one another. When you are for someone, can I tell you this? You're all in, okay? You're not holding anything back. And that's why uh, even when we talk about sports, and like I said, I try not to bring up the Yankees first. I try not to be the first one to bring it up. But when people bring it up and start talking about it, I'm all in. I'm going to, as somebody said, defend them. I'm going to brag about them. I'm going to talk about what they're doing now. And sometimes I have to say, yeah, you know what? They're not doing very well. Like the last two games, in fact, three games, probably even though they won the first game against Houston. You know, we got to talk about, we got to understand the truth and the reality. And we have to support and defend and be all in for whatever it is that we are for. So to better understand this and to get a, a, a good application of what it means to be I am for you, we need to consider uh, what it says there in verse 31, where it says, what shall we say then to these things? You see that these things that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, show why we know God is for us. What are the, these things that Paul is talking about? We find them in the previous verses of chapter 8. And our text is going to do a great job showing us how God is for us. But I want to let, read to you some words uh, from a song that talk about how and show how God is indeed for us. You probably have heard this song on the radio. It, the words go like this. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Talking about God and his relationship with us. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have, made me, you have been so kind to me. An overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it ch- chases me down, fights till I'm fine, leaves the 99, and I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Get this. When I was your foe, you still, your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. 
You have been so, so kind to me. An overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Here's more proof. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't knock down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Those things demonstrate that God is indeed for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, that's what we call a rhetorical question, which means it doesn't require an answer. If God is for us, Paul could have said, then no one can be against us. Or in essence, no one can be successful in their attempts to be against us. Because God is for us. Well, let's take a look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to, the first 11 verses, and I'm not going to read all of these verses because it would take too much time, um, but if you have nothing better to do this afternoon, uh, go ahead and read all of Romans chapter 8. It will be a great blessing to you. In verses 1 through 11, we see that God provided salvation for us. God provided salvation. Verses 1 through 4 in this uh, chapter says, tells us that there is no condemnation There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Hasn't just removed most of it, or even 99% of it. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? No condemnation. Well, we all start out in this world, in this life, condemned. Ooh, that's harsh, Pastor. Well, it might be harsh, but it is true. We have this, if, you're, if you try to share the gospel with people, there are lots of different helps available. One of the best ones is the Romans Road. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because we are all sinners, what does that mean? It means that we are all under condemnation. We are already judged and sentenced to a life in hell. Then we get to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, The wages of sin is death. And say it with me. There's that next word. What is that next word? But! But! The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has offered to mankind this thing that we call, he calls in fact, eternal life. Everlasting life lifts the condemnation. We are no longer condemned if we know Christ as our Savior. There is therefore now no condemnation to those those who are in Christ Jesus. Nobody can condemn you. Satan can't condemn you, though he tries. Uh, Other people in this world can't condemn you, though they may want to. There is no condemnation for the child of God. And that's a great blessing. That is an amazing provision that comes to us only through salvation. There is no other way to lift the condemnation on mankind apart from the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That is what lifts our condemnation. 
We see that in verses 1 through 4. In verses 1 through 5, can I tell you this? There is no comparison to what we have in Christ Jesus. We all know what we were before Christ, before we had this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We know what we were. But it's good for us to dwell and spend some time thinking about what we are now in Christ. And I went through verses 1 through 11, and in fact, just verses 5 through 6, there are six times that we see this word. It's one of my favorites. You know what it is. You've already said it this morning. It's the word but. I've put them down on your note page for you, but let me read them for you. We see, first of all, the first but mentioned in verses 5 through 11. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, they live like the world lives. And we've been trying to help us understand as a church that when the world lives like the world lives, that's what they do. We shouldn't expect them to do anything different because that's what they do. We need to love them where they are. We need to communicate truth to them where they are. We need to pray for them to come to know Jesus as their Savior. But we cannot expect them to live other than the way the world lives. They live like the flesh. It's what they do. They have no other choice because they are condemned. Pastor, you're harsh. Well, yes. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just really telling you what the truth is. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. How do you live according to the Spirit? Well, when the, the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. And so now you're not subject to the flesh. You're not condemned in the flesh. You're not bound to the flesh. You are set free from the flesh, and you have the privilege to live according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives within you convicts you. He chides you. He teaches you. He helps you make the right choices and do the right things. We live not according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit. The second uh, place we find the word but is, it says, to be carnally minded is death. Now that word death here in Romans chapter 8, it's not talking about physical death, okay? To be carnally minded is death. That's the word spiritually dead. That means you are separated from God. You have no desire to follow after the ways of God. And can I tell you this? I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. There is none that seeketh after God. If you are spiritually dead, you are not in your own person, in your own strength, seeking after God. The Bible says there is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Again, you're being harsh. I'm just telling you the truth. Because God wants you to know the truth so you can be set free from the bondage of sin and death. So as we see here, those who are carnally minded, it's death. But to the spiritually minded is life and peace. Those of us who have been born again, those of us who have life, who have experienced new life, we are no longer dead. We have been set free from that. And we have the privilege to live life. We are not bound to sin. We are not encumbered by the wages of sin any longer. We are freed from that penalty. We are free to live in peace with God. The third time time we see the word but is, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh Uh-oh. That sounds like bad news. That sounds like trouble. We cannot please God if we are in the flesh. 
But there's some amazing news. In verse 9, Paul says, You are not in the flesh. We've been delivered from the flesh. Yes, we still have flesh and bones, but we don't live according to the world system any longer. We are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit. That's the fourth one. But in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And can I tell you this? Once the spirit of God takes up residence in you, once you trust Jesus Christ to be your personal savior, the spirit of God never leaves you. Now, some may tell you differently, but the Bible says the spirit of God will never leave us. Jesus said, I must go back to heaven because when I go, I will send the comforter and he will be with you forever. He will be with you always. And when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he's talking about the spirit who lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Never leaves us, never forsakes us. The Holy Spirit is always with us. So we are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit if indeed, or we should say that word if, is uh, since indeed you believe and the spirit of God dwells in you. The next but we see is, 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 says, and if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, you understand that our righteousness doesn't do anything to help us be alive. Because what is our righteousness? Isaiah tells us all of our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Okay, We can't do anything to clean it up. I, I, I was doing some woodworking this week, and I was staining a couple of different things, and I put the stain on, and then I have a rag that I use to wipe the stain off. But you know what? That rag got fully covered in the stain, and it wasn't doing anything to wipe the stain off anymore. I had to get a different rag. You see, if your righteousness is nothing but but filthy, every time you try to clean it up and make it clean again, you're just spreading the dirt around. You can't do anything to make it clean. You got to start new. So you start new with Christ. And we have now Christ's righteousness that has been imputed to us. And that's another topic in the book of Romans that we don't have time to get in this morning. But God has imputed his righteousness to us. The righteousness of Christ is now mine. He's taken my, my righteousness and done away with it. To God be the glory. Man, is God for us? Yeah, he sure is. There's no comparison. The last one, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, and can we all agree that nobody else, no other spirit has ever raised somebody from the dead, only the spirit of God has raised Jesus from the dead? If the spirit of God dwells in us and that power is within us, here, hold on to your seats. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. As bad as you might have been, as much of a sinner as you might have been. And Paul says, I was the chiefest of all sinners, so you can't be worse than Paul. But as bad as you might have been, God, through his Holy Spirit, gives life, cleanses us, makes us new. We are new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away and all things are becoming new. Hallelujah. What a blessing. God has provided salvation for us. And would you agree with me that there is no comparison to what we have now in Christ? That nothing that anybody else has to offer can compare to what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. God provided salvation. In verses 12 through 25, we see that God has given us promises. 
He's given us promises. You know, we all like promises, don't we? Right? I mean, you might promise your kids that you're going to take them out for ice cream. Or you might promise your kids that you're going to take them to a particular event or help them build a project or something like that. And your kids, they hold on to that promise. They wait for that promise to be fulfilled. But dad, you promised. You work to make sure that anything you promise, you keep. Your word is at stake. So you must keep your promises. God has made promises to us. And as hard as we try as humans, sometimes we can't keep those promises, right? Sometimes we overpromise. Who's famous for no, no, I won't go there. Um, we gotta make sure that when we promise, we keep our word. As much as is possible, as much as lies within us, we keep our word. The good thing about the promises that God has made, He never breaks them. He never doesn't keep his promise. And there's so much that we could get into in that discussion. But can I just tell you that God, when he makes a promise, he will keep it. He will go to whatever lengths he has that is consistent with his character to keep the promise. And here's the other thing. He never makes promises that are inconsistent with his character. So the almighty God, the creator of the universe who makes promises, brings those promises to pass. Here's one of them in verse 12. We read in in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here's a promise that we have from God is freedom from sin. You and I have this promise from God. We, we can't become sinless in our own abilities. In fact, we don't even have a desire to be sinless in our own abilities. And we've talked already about the fact that the wages of sin is death. The death, that eternal separation from God, is going to happen unless you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. God has promised that he will free us from this sentence of death through his son, Jesus Christ. What Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary did what nothing else could do. Even, as, even if you kept the Ten Commandments, you would still be a condemned sinner. And the reality is none of us could keep the Ten Commandments. Jesus did. He kept them to the letter. He fulfilled them so that we wouldn't have to. He gave us the hope of freedom from, the, from sin that separates us from God. And so as we think about the Spirit working through the follower of Jesus Christ, He helps us become and, and bear fruits of righteousness. So when others look at us, they don't see us as the sinful person that we used to be. They see us as a child of God who is doing works of righteousness. Have you ever had, and it depends really on the life you used to live. Some people, um, like I don't know if Scott were here this morning, he would agree his testimony of salvation, God saved him from being a drug addict and a drug dealer and all those kinds of wicked things. God saved him from that. And now when people see him who haven't seen him since he got saved, they go, what, what, what changed in your life? What's going on with you, man? You, you used to do and you used to be. Oh, God, God has made the difference. God has changed me. God has washed me and cleansed me. God can do what no other program in this world can do. He can make you new. 
He can give you new life. We are free from sin to be able to do the works of righteousness that demonstrate to others that we are followers of God. We also see here in our text, verses 12 through 25, that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Now, can I tell you, that ought to get you excited. Heirs with Christ. Verse 17, Paul writes this, And if children, or since children, then heirs... Well, you might think, well, I have heirs. I'm going to be an heir. When my parents die, they're going to leave me this. Or when my grandparents pass away, I'm going to get this. That's all minor. I tell my kids all they're getting are my bills. But anyway, um, heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Paul says that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's amazing. You know what that means? You and I are going to have the same benefits in heaven that Jesus has. This is one of those truths that's hard for us to comprehend. You and I and everyone who has ever put their faith in Jesus Christ, accepted that gift of salvation, we're placed into the family of God. And we're given the rights of being the son of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Wow, that's amazing. But it gets even better. Paul goes on and he talks about the fact that we are first fruits of the Spirit. Paul says in verse 23 that we are adopted as sons. It shows us where we fit into the family of God. Now, when you think about being adopted, there is so much in that, okay? Um, And and when when God adopts us into his family... Usually, uh, when you're adopted, you, you don't start off bearing the same name as the one that has adopted you. But once you're adopted and the, everything is finalized and everything is official, you take on the name of the individual who has adopted you. We take on the name of Jesus Christ. We take on the name of God. We are sons of God. We are daughters of God. We are children of God. Whew. Isn't that amazing? And not just any God. We're talking about big G God. We're talking about the creator God. We're talking about the one who is the only true God. We are his children. And we are first fruits of the spirit. We will share in the amazing glory of the father and of the son. And here's the thing. We're waiting for that to happen. We don't we don't walk around like Moses did after he came down from the mountain with the Shekinah glory beaming from his face. Now, sometimes it beams from my head, right, Dave? Um, in fact, Mark pulled over the other day, and we were out here in the parking lot for, I don't know, probably half an hour or so chatting. And I kept thinking, man, am I going to get a sunburn? I'm going to get a sunburn. And Barb texted me just before we, she said, you're going to get a sunburn. Um, you know, so sometimes our bald heads shine brightly. We had a pastor when we played softball in Messina. He was a pitcher and he could barely get it to the mound. But, you know, and, and our team had very good players on it. We usually won the games. Um, but Pastor Underwood said, all right, you guys from Messina, you're forcing me to unveil the secret weapon. And he was kind of a short guy and a little stocky. And everybody, the first time he said that, we're like, well, what's the secret weapon? He says, it's time for the chrome dome. And he took his hat off and he went like this. And that. So we have some of the shiny stuff going on, but not like we have 
with God, the Shekinah glory. We don't have that kind of glory, but we will someday. We will, when we get to glory, we will become and we will share in the glory of God. Woo! Hallelujah. God's glory, not man's glory. And God's glory far outshines any glory that we can muster up. We will share in that glory. Um, And guess what? Not only us, but creation is waiting for that as well. Creation is waiting and groaning for that time to happen. I like what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says when it talks about this idea of waiting for the glory of God. It says, the creation keeps on eagerly waiting for the sons of God, that's you and I, for the sons of God to be revealed. We, we will be revealed. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That will be when we show the glory of God, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. The verb for eagerly waits is used seven times in the New Testament, each time to refer to Christ's return. Hallelujah. We become glorified when Christ returns. I will be like him because why? I will see him as he is, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. All right? The revealing of the sons of God will occur when Christ the first fruits returns for his own, you and I who follow after him as fruit, they will share in his glory and will be transformed. We're waiting for that transformation that Paul talks about in verse 23 of Romans 8, where he says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of Christ, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. What a day that is going to be. All of nature is personified as eagerly waiting for that time. You and I are also waiting for that time for the glory of God to be revealed in us. These things uh, in verses 1 through 25 show us that God is indeed for us. And while you and I cannot bring to the relationship what God has provided for us, We can work together to meet the needs of one another in our marriages and the needs of one another in our local churches. And let me go one step further, even in the needs of the lives of those that God brings across our path. It's important for us to represent God well in the world that he has placed us. As we get to verses 26 through 30, uh, we can see some very practical applications for the I am with you or I am for you concept. Now, this is what Barb and I focused on last weekend at the marriage camp. So I'm going to ask her to come up here and join me. And don't worry, we're not not endorsing female practice pastors or anything like that. But she has some, uh, some very practical things that she brought forth in our, in our talk last week, and she's going to share some of those things with us. But I would like you to stand with me first all together. We're going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Now, you think that before I've had long introductions, well, that wasn't really an introduction, but now we're getting to the text of scripture that we want to focus on this morning. Read together with me from the screen, if you will, Romans 8, 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? And verses 26 through 30 are a pretty amazing group of things. But what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You may be seated. Um, So we're going to focus a little bit more on these things here that show us what it means to be for you. What does it mean for uh, me to be for you, you to be for me in the church setting and in the marriage setting as well? First of all, we see in verse 26, the first part of it, it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What we see here in the text is that there's protection. There's protection for the child of God. Help in weakness. You see, that idea um, of needing help means that we're vulnerable. Every one of us are vulnerable as the result of sin. We talked earlier about the wages of sin. Sin is serious. We know how serious it is because sin is what caused Adam and Eve to be removed from the Garden of Eden. Sin is what condemns every one of us to hell if it's not dealt with properly. And can I tell you this? Even if you're a child of God, sin will wreak havoc in your relationship with the Lord if it is not dealt with in a timely way. We need to take care of sin in this life, and God has made a way for that to happen. You know it, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just because you and I trust Jesus as our Savior, it does not make us sinless. It makes us sinners saved by grace. And as sinners saved by grace, we have the opportunity of reconciliation on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. The moment we sin, we can confess it and know that we are forgiven of that sin. Why? Because God says so. If we confess he will forgive. So this idea of protection, um, God allows us uh, the protection of his almighty hand. Because we are weak, because we are sinners, we need this protection. In the marriage relationship, the husband provides protection for his spouse, for his wife. In the church relationship, It is my responsibility as a pastor to protect you. It is the responsibility of our church leadership to protect the church. It is the responsibility of the people who are part of this church to protect one another, to protect our testimony, to protect our our ministries, to protect our calling. We must work together to protect this ministry that God has placed us in. Now, there's lots of areas that we need protection, and sometimes it's physical needs. Sometimes people need food. Sometimes people need care. Sometimes people need a multitude of things. And you and I as individuals should come along and help individuals as those needs arise if it's within our ability to do so. Um, Sometimes people need emotional needs. As a husband, you need to protect the emotional needs of your wife. And she reciprocates that. 
we have emotional needs in the body of Christ. Sometimes that's very hard to do, to protect the emotional needs of a variety of individuals in the congregation. Some need this and some need that, and sometimes those needs seem like they, they oppose one another or they're in conflict with one another. That's why you're praying for your pastor and your church leadership is so important that we would have God's wisdom and not our own wisdom as we seek to help protect the congregation that God has entrusted to our care. We, we also need have spiritual needs. So uh, we need to protect those needs. We need to meet those needs. You see, being for one another means that we are going to take the steps needed to foster this protection that we're talking about. In the body of Christ, our need for protection is, is, is so varied because there's so many people that make up the body of Christ. But we need to be for one another. When we have needs, we need to communicate those needs. You know, the, the, the pastor and the deacons, we can't minister to your needs if we don't know what your needs are. So it's very important for you to share with us what those needs are. Not so that we can go tell everybody else about those needs. We only do that if you tell us to share this on the prayer chain. Or can you ask the church family to pray for it? If you share a need with us, we keep that need confidential and we try to do whatever we can to minister to those needs. But you have to tell us what the needs are. Um, I've, I've told you, you know, in the, in the qualifications for a pastor, mind reader is not one of them. So if you have a need, you need to share it with me so I can, I can know and I can take the steps that are necessary to help minister to those needs to those needs. So we communicate the needs to the pastors and to the body, and that allows the body to step up and meet those needs. All of us have times of weaknesses. Even when we read Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says we have weaknesses. The, the, the members of the body of Christ have weaknesses. Barb's going to say a little bit about weaknesses as well. She's never done this before, so... Um, so weaknesses, obviously as a wife, I'm not as strong as Tim. However, I'm, so I might not protect him physically, but there are areas that I can show protection for him. Um, and he's kind of touched on a couple of them, but I'll be, I'll get a little bit more specific. One of them would be nutrition. Now, yes. He loves bacon, but he can't have bacon at every meal, right? So part of that would be um, me trying to help him balance his love of bacon and, and eating other things, too. And he actually eats all kinds of vegetables, so that's not so hard. But other things. When, when I'm around and he's not around and someone might call into question his judgment or something like that, I'm going to protect him. I'm. I'm. Don't usually have to say anything directly, but I'm certainly going to stop any um, conversation that would call into question his integrity or anything like that. And for that matter, of our church, um, I'm going to do that as well. Um, another thing that I probably. I, I, it's just a, a thing that I do now without thinking, but I had to develop the habit of protecting him out in public, protecting just, uh, how do I say this? Okay, so we're in the mall, right? And we're walking down the mall, and I see from a distance some woman who's probably not dressed in something that I would want my husband to look at. So what do I do? 
I show interest in this store that maybe I don't even care about, but I'm going to direct him somewhere so that he's not taking that in through his vision. Okay, so I'm just, I want to say misdirecting him <laughs> so that he doesn't have to look at those things, whether it's on TV, whether it's a, something in a, a signage and in, in, on the road, something. I just, visually, I'm going to give him something else to think about or something else to look about, look at. Um, yeah, so I guess that is some of the things that we can do as wives to protect our husband in just very subtle ways. All right. As you continue in the text, uh, we see in the second part of verse 26 and verse 27, a very important part of the life of the child of God, whether it's in the church or whether it's in the marriage, uh, is prayer. We see that the Spirit helps us pray. Uh, It's safe to say that prayer is integral. You can't have a good church. You can't have a well-functioning church. You can't have a good marriage uh, without prayer. Prayer is absolutely necessary. We find ourselves here at Calvary Baptist Church praying a lot. I know one of the concerns that was brought up when we first discussed and decided that we were going to change our Wednesday evening format. Uh, Somebody said to me, Pastor, I hope we don't become a church that takes prayer lightly. Um, Can I tell you that I think since we changed our Wednesday evening formats, I think we pray more as a church than we did before. We have taken some intentional steps to make sure that we are a praying church. When we gather on Sunday nights, we spend time in prayer. Sunday morning, uh, some people might think, man, that church prays a lot. They have the opening prayer. They have a prayer for the family of the week. They have a prayer for the uh, church of the week. They have a prayer before the sermon. They have a prayer at the end. They pray for the offer. We can never pray too much. We need to be people of prayer. I've told you before that when our deacons get together for our deacons meetings, the second Wednesday of the month, we spend sometimes over an hour in prayer talking about the things that we need to be praying for in our church, for our church, for one another, and then we go to prayer. And sometimes you look up at the clock, our deacons meetings usually start at 6.30. It's nothing for our actual discussion of the business on the agenda to not start until 8 or 8.30. That's because we're praying for you and for our church and for one another. It's important that we pray. Prayer. Sometimes uh, this, the passage here in Romans says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That word help in verse 26, it's actually up in the first part of the verse. Uh, It's an amazing word. It pictures the idea of someone helping another carry a heavy load. You can't carry it by yourself. Somebody's helping you carry the heavy load. I remember my first job was at a place called Phase Drugs uh, in in Messina. Um, And our manager, Mr. Lang, he only worked nine to five Monday through Friday. Wouldn't you love that, Mark? (laughs) He was the manager. That's the way it worked in those days, except on truck day. Mr. Lang was there on, and I don't know, uh, truck days in for phase drugs in Messina. It wasn't like, I I have to laugh sometimes because I walk into stores and I hear them saying, hey, the truck came today. We got 150 pieces. And I think, 150 pieces. We used to get 26 pallets. How many, does it, how many pallets fit on a, on, a, on a pickup truck? I think it's 28, isn't it? Front to back. 
um, we used to get full, full trucks and sometimes a truck and a half. That's how much stuff we got coming into the store. And Mr. Lang worked truck night to make sure everything was done the way he wanted it to do so the store would be able to process all the stuff that came in and get it out on the floor at the appropriate time. Once he felt that all was handled, he would leave. Sometimes that was closing time. Sometimes it was an hour before. I remember one day, first time I ever worked with Mr. Lang, um, we were moving something heavy. Or I wasn't because I was only, I'd only been working there for like a week. And um, it was my first truck night. I was scheduled. And one of my coworkers was trying to move something heavy. I don't remember what it was. But I was w- looking at him trying to figure out, can I help him? How should I help him? What should I do? And Mr. Lang said, hey, Tim. Go help your coworker. Don't just stand there and watch him. Now, he said it nicely and politely, and, but, but he felt it was his job to train me to know how to do the work for not just working at Phase Drugs, but whatever job I might get down the road. That was his job as the manager to help train me be an effective worker uh, in the future. So he said, go help your coworker. So I, helped, I went over and I said, how do you want me to help? And he said, do this. And so he picked this thing up and we moved it. We moved it together, made the job so much easier. That's the idea of the Holy Spirit helping us in our infirmities. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength and our own abilities. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and he helps us. Often in the family of God, we have things that we need help with. We have burdens that we need to carry And we need to understand and know and realize that we don't have to carry those burdens alone. We don't have to carry them by ourselves. Number one, we have the Holy Spirit. But number two, we have the body of Christ that should come alongside one another and help bear the burdens that we are carrying. Whatever your cares might be, we need to allow others to help carry those burdens that we are facing. That's why we have a prayer chain. Uh, Lauren texted Barb yesterday and said, hey, Joseph's dad was in a motorcycle accident. Within minutes, you all were praying for that. You were bearing that burden. How do I know? Because several of you texted back and said, hey, uh, whatever, and you responded letting me know that you were praying. We bear one another's burdens. We make the load light as we come alongside one another and help with the burdens. So as a wife, um, how can I effectively help Tim through prayer? Well, I used to think I prayed for my husband often. And then, I don't know, about three years ago, I realized I really didn't. So I took my smartphone and I set a reminder on my phone. And every morning that reminder comes on my phone. And until I take time in my day to pray specifically for him, for what's going on that day or maybe it's a bigger project or whatever I don't take I do not close off that reminder um, it's just something that I've done for myself so that I know that I'm praying for him often and daily and consistently and effectively not just that he would be healthier that he will be um, you know happier whatever I mean specific intentional prayer so that's one thing that I've done. I would encourage you uh, ladies to do that for your husband. It's, it's, I, I know that it's been an encouragement for him. He, he didn't know that I was doing it for a long time, and then I finally told him. Um, other things. 
if I see him and when he's up here preaching, and sometimes I can, because I know him, I can tell if he's getting tired or if he's losing his train of thought or whatever it would be. I, I make it my very first response to pray for him. I mean, what else can I do? I, I used to be like, you know, do this or whatever, trying to uh, communicate, and he'd look at me, and that didn't work. So I just pray about it now. <laughs> and um, to think and just pray. Um, I, I take time, we take time at least once a week. I don't know if he appreciates it, but this is part of who I am. I will, uh, usually it's on Monday morning, I'll say, okay, what's going on in this week? What do I need to know? Because people communicate with him, and, and then I don't know something. He might have an appointment. He might have something else that's going on. But we'll take the time, and we'll talk about the week, and then that helps me to know exactly what I should do, how I can pray for him. But it's very intentional, and it's very specific. And I, like I say, I do not turn off my reminder until I've done that. So I would just encourage you to use your smartphone uh, as a tool to do that. You could do the same thing with the family of the week that we have in our, in our bulletin. Every week we pray on Sunday morning for the family of the week, but you could, you could set a reminder to pray for the family of the week during the week. Um, let me just remind you about this wonderful little tool here, and I know that you all know how to use it because most of you have turned in uh, updates to the directory. If you haven't, you, that's what one of these things is used for. But also, and I've told you before that if you take this and you fill it out and you put a prayer request down here that you want us to be praying for, uh, you can ask the deacons. I will text them the prayer request. I'll say, hey, uh, we got this request in and so-and-so is asking for prayer about this. And I know they're praying for it because they love you and they, their desire is to serve you in ways that, uh, that help you uh, in your daily life and in your walk with the Lord. So prayer is an important aspect of the being for one another, for you in the things of God. The last part of the, our text this morning is verses 28 through 30. And what we see here is the idea of partnership, partnering together. Um, the text says that we know all things work together for good. They all work according to God's purpose. I'm tempted to ask you a question, but it's kind of a trick question, so I'm not going to ask you what the, what the good is. Um, but I remember oftentimes people saying to me, hey, you're in a bad situation. Somebody says, ah, you know what Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good. It's going to be good for you. And you're struggling along and you're trying to figure out where's the good in all of this. And you're, in our minds as humans naturally do, we think of this good thing. You know, oh man, there's a hundred dollar bill on the sidewalk. That's a good thing. Or we think of good in some other way. The good that Paul is talking about here has nothing to do with material needs, has nothing to do even with physical needs. Uh, I remember getting hurt in Bible college and my mom sent me a note. She said, all things work together for good. Yeah, and I'm walking around Clark Summit University with crutches. Wasn't so good. Wasn't so easy. I didn't see the good in it. But you know what the good is? The good is that God is going to conform us to the image of his son. That's what the good is. I know that whatever God allows into my life, whatever God brings into my life is for my good. Whether it's easy to work through or whether it's hard to work through, it is for my good. And as we look at this ver these verses here in verses uh, 28 and 29, we see a bunch of things. 
Uh, we see all things work together to those who are called according to his purpose. Verses 29 and 30 explain that. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Then verse 30 says, Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Wow! That's quite a list of things that God is doing for our good. He, He has called us. We didn't go looking for God. God called us because he foreknew us. He predestined us. Pastor, don't talk about that word. That's one of those C words. Yeah, it's a Calvinist word. But you know what? It's a Bible word. So we talk about it. He predestined us what? To become like his son. If he didn't do that, we wouldn't become like his son. We'd stay just the way we are. And thank God that we don't do that. But he is conforming us to the image of his son. He also justified us. You know, my favorite trick question is, what does it mean to be justified? And, and many times you throw that out in the crowd and people say, just as if I never sinned. Eh. Wrong answer. It's not. There's so much more to it. Justified means God has declared you right before him. And he's done that because he's given us the righteousness of Christ to live within us. He's justified us, and he has glorified us. We're still waiting for that part where we will become like him, and we will be the representation of his glory. We, you know, you and I, there's a, this partnership. It all seems one-sided, doesn't it? God called us. He saved us. He predestined us. And that's the way salvation is because there's nothing you and I can do to, to add to our salvation. But where the partnership comes in is after salvation, that we may show the fruits of him who saved us. You've heard me say many times, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, to do the good works that he ordained in eternity past for us to do. In the church, we all must work together for the good and the glory of God. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, and I've told you this before as well, but in Ephesians chapter 4 it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, pastors, and teachers. Why did Jesus give those gifts? By the way, those are not gifts of the Spirit. Those are gifts of Christ to the church. He gave them to the church, verse 12, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure, the stature, or fullness of Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, get this, when we're all working together, when we're all for one another, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Wow. God wants us, all of us, working together to do the work of the ministry. So being for one another means we work together to fulfill the partnership God has called us to. And when the work is done, when we, when we finish a work that God has called us to, and can I just use the spaghetti dinner as an example of that? When we do the work and we do it well, we don't sit back and we say, 
look what we did. Look what I did. No, we look and say, man, look at what God accomplished through Calvary Baptist Church. Look what God did. When we get ready to, or as we're getting ready to do this fall festival, it's not going to be at the end of the day. Man, look at what Pastor Tim did. Now, in the community, I might get the credit for that, but I try to quickly say it's what we as a church did, okay? But when we see the results of that fall festival, we see hopefully people come to know Jesus as their Savior. We see a group of people seeing that the church is for them, trying to help them in lots of different ways, that God is glorified through that. And we as a church, we look back as we go over that event and we say, man, look at what God did. Look at what God did. God brought that person as a result and they got saved. Hallelujah. God brought that person and we're able to meet a need in that person's life. Praise God. To God be the glory. You see, you and I, we don't do it for ourselves, but we do it for God's accomplishments. And and when we submit to the spirit who lives within us and allow him to do the work through us, we say, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Um, partnership and in marriage, I have to remind myself on a regular basis, actually, that when I'm helping Tim, sometimes that's a sacrifice for me. Um, like I said, we will talk about it in the beginning of the week. What, what's the plan this week? What do you have to do? What do you have to accomplish? And then I'm thinking at the same time, okay, then that means I get to do this or I get to do that or I, I can do such and such on a certain day. But then there are those days where I get up and all of a sudden, boom, something's happened and now I need to reorganize myself. That's a sacrifice for me, but it's part of partnership. Um, When Tim needs help, I need to come and, and stop what I'm doing and come and help him. And I can have a good attitude about that or I can have a bad attitude about that. That's my choice. I get to choose. And so I have determined that I'm going to have a good attitude. Why? Because it makes things go so much more smoothly. It helps the work uh, to get accomplished more effectively. Um, You know that he loves to do woodwork. And so I kind of consider myself his sous chef in in the woodworking area. I think a sous chef is somebody who does whatever they're told by the, the main chef. You know, they, they have to do the peeling of the carrots or the peeling of the veggies or the chopping of the onions or whatever it is. It's not always the fun stuff. But that's what partnership is, and, and that's what I get to do. And I, I genuinely enjoy spending time with my husband. Even if it's the most menial thing, I enjoy it. And it always makes me a little sad when I hear... Um, wives complain, oh, i got to do this with, such, you know, with, with my husband. And I was like, that's a privilege. You get to do it. And so I just would encourage you to come alongside your husband and do stuff with him because it actually encourages them and it helps them to know that you are for them and that you love them and that you support them. It's kind of a... <clears throat> a a funny thing that happens in our deacons meetings. I'll, I'll, I'll bring an agenda, obviously, that we set. We talk about it based on what we've accomplished in the last. Ben's already starting to smile and shake his head. And then I'll often bring another piece of paper 
Um, maybe it's a calendar or maybe it's something else, and they'll say, that's Barb's handiwork, isn't it? Because they know where my strengths are and they know where my weaknesses are. And organization, I'll be, you have told you this before, organization is not one of my strengths. I just do what needs to be done. And so when we know that something needs to be done, I'll say, hey, can you help, can you help me figure this out? And, and so when I present something that's very well organized, the deacon say, uh, yep, uh, yeah, that's Barb's. Thank you, Barb. Um, so the idea is working together to make things happen. When, when we have ministries here in the church, we have to work together to make things happen. I told you about this fall festival. We can't do it by ourselves. Yes, it was my idea. And yes, the deacons all supported it. So you know what? That means now it's all of our opportunities to come alongside one another and say, yes, let's make this happen. Let's do it the best we can. And, and, and let's try to see if we can't see God use this in a way that will bring honor and glory to himself. So I know we're running late, but let me just, as we wrap things up this morning, uh, I want to ask a question and I want you to respond to the question. We've talked about being, I am for you in relationships and especially this morning in the church relationship. I want to ask you this morning, how what does it mean to be for the church, for Calvary Baptist Church? I want you to tell me what you think it means to be for Calvary Baptist Church. And I know some people are going to have some responses, so here we go. This right? Or I can just give it to Ben and let Ben get it right. I don't know what's going on there. Oh, you got to push up at the bottom. All right, so when you get the mic, turn the button up so you don't hear that clunking noise when you pass it from one person to another. How did, what, do you can, what can you do? What are some ideas, some suggestions that show that I am for Calvary Baptist Church? I am for Calvary. Barry's got one. Whenever the doors are open in this church, we should be here. To join together as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is certainly one way. I remember when I when we did the installation service for our new pastor in South Africa, I said to, I told our church family, one way you can encourage Pastor Barry is by attending the services of Grace Baptist Church. That's a great encouragement to him. Somebody else, Cindy. Um, to pray for the people in the church and to pray for the church, that it, the leadership, that's to be for the church. Prayer is important. We mentioned that. And I can, I can vouch for Cindy because she will often be one of the first people to text me back and say, hey, I'm praying for whatever the request was. Now, I'm not saying that you have to text me back, um, but I know that people are praying because that, they do that. Others, Colleen's got one. You're on. I don't know. Is that better? Okay. Had to give him something to do. Um, we, can, we can help. I mean, there's always projects going on, always, in our church. Barb likes to change things a lot. And, you know, but offer to help. Or just be here when she or he says I need help. Yep. Thank you. 
Steve's got one. With joy, be ever ready to uh, share um, what God has blessed us with uh, here at church. When you uh, and when you encounter somebody and you want to invite them to come and and visit and attend, and uh, uh, and also at the same time be be sensitive. You might, as you're about uh, in the community, you might spot somebody who has a need, and uh, you kind of reach out to them and uh, speak of the encouragement they could get here. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Joyfully encouraging one another. Bonnie's got one. Um, To ask Jesus Christ how... Give me discernment and wisdom how I can serve him to the fullest, and then I ask him to give me um, help in doing that. Okay. Anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Yep. Jim? I try to support the ministry and support the minister, uh, both publicly and uh, in my private life. And just spread the word. Okay. Someone else? Cindy's got another one? (laughs) (laughs) To be a cheerful giver of your time and your talents. The, the service, the things that need to be done, the lawn mowing, the church cleaning, the Sunday school. There are so many ways that we can serve the church. Um, there's a bulletin board out there with needs. Sign up for something. It's really quite fun if you put your heart into it. So um, you can support the church that way. Just an ask. Ask pastor. Ask the deacons what there is that that needs to be done. And then do it. Yep. Very good. Dave's got one. One of the biggest things um, I think we can do is share your faith with others and invite them to come. Yep. Faithful witness, faithful testimony. Any others? All right. Thank you for sharing your ideas of how you can be for Calvary Baptist Church. Um, Can I tell you one more? Um, And this is going to help make Carol's job easier. Um, maybe make Colleen's job a little more difficult, but make Carol's job easier. That's to financially give to the ministries of the church. You know, um, and by making it more difficult, it means you got more money to count, more money to take to the bank, right? Um, and and we God is blessed over the last year. We're thankful for where we are financially. We're not great, 
but we're not bad either. And every time we have a deacon's meeting, we'll say, we'll take it. We'll take it with where we are because the checkbook has a balance, a healthy balance in it. Um, but you know what? The more, the more money the church has, the more opportunities we have to reach out and make a difference in the lives of others. There are things that we would like to do as a church that we can't do because we just don't have the money to do it. Uh, one of the goals is to pay off the mortgage. As soon as we can get the mortgage paid off, that means we don't have to pay uh, over $2,000 a month to the bank. We can use that $2,000 for something else. Uh, so uh, if you're for it, you're going to give to it. I've, I mentioned earlier, how, am I, how do you know I'm a Yankee fan? Uh, well, Jeannie Vogel asked me last week, how many Yankee shirts do you have anyway? Um, a lot. A lot. I buy them when they're on sale mostly, or somebody buys them and gives them to me. And, and when I buy a Yankee project, a product or a Cowboys product, that supports their organization. It's going into their, some of that's going into their pockets. So when you give to the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, you're showing that you are for uh, the work of the ministry that is going on here. And we couldn't do it without you. We could not do the ministry without your help, without your support. And so we want to thank you for uh, the ways that you do demonstrate that you are for the church, but we want to also encourage you to keep demonstrating in many, many ways that you are for the work of God here in Preble, New York. All right, let's close our service in prayer, and then Ben's going to come and lead us in our final song. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for uh, just the word of God that helps us understand how we should live life. What should we do to honor you, to glorify you? Uh, We're looking forward, Father, to being uh, like Jesus the day that you call us home to be in your presence. Until then, Father, help us to demonstrate that we are in the process of becoming more and more like our Savior with each passing day. Thank you, Father, for the book of Romans that reminds us how amazing you are uh, in the gift of salvation that you have provided for us. Help us to take that information about salvation and share it with others this week so they also may come to know Jesus as their Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen.